This podcast was produced by Sean Weston Media. This week, Lauren Parker and I talk about her career as a British film producer. We discuss the challenges of financing production, searching for talent, working with people you trust, and the influence of online video platform Vimeo. We recorded the show a few weeks ago, so the fast-moving COVID-19 landscape has changed since then. But Lauren's perspective of life as a film producer during lockdown remains pertinent, especially as many of the general challenges associated with being a film producer hold firm. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Lauren, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. So you're a film producer. Is it a life of limousines and cocktails? No, definitely not. Not when it's an independent producer. Uh, (laughs) Well, as someone who specializes in the industry of production, whether that's music, video, short films or commercials, 2020 must be a year you'll want to forget. How has work been for you and how have you adapted to things? Yeah, I mean, work has dried up pretty much. It's kind of weird. I was on a job, did a big interactive project that finished the week before lockdown. So all the posts had to be done remotely for that, all the like colour grade and sound mix and stuff. And it did it managed to get done and it's been released on time. But then everything else I geared up after that is still on pause. We don't know when it's gonna go ahead. So all I've really been doing during lockdown is like most producers and people in production is developing projects I already had. So I had quite a few short films I was going to shoot this year or early next year. So they're going into a lot more development. And I had a bit of money from the BFI to develop a feature film. So managed to get the treatment ready for that and it's just kind of been meeting with filmmakers like directors and writers and just trying to get new projects together as well while I've got time to actually sit and read so I've read a lot of scripts that I don't normally have time to get through. Yeah and the networking side of your industry is is all important isn't it so I guess it's been a time to build on those relationships that you wouldn't normally have time for. Yeah like I've had a lot of filmmakers get in touch with me and some of them it's just to have a chat which is quite nice like and then we can see if projects grow. So I've done a lot of a lot of Zoom calls, Skype meetings. And I, like a lot of the actual institutes as well, like BAFTA. I'm on, on a thing called BAFTA Crew, which is sort of like a mentorship program, like a teaching program for filmmakers. So we've done a lot of networking kind of chats over Zoom with through that as well. So it's been quite good. All right. So and the TV and film industry produced guidelines to adhere to as well, didn't they, throughout this this yeah. whole lockdown business? And I, I guess... Is is that unfolding a little bit now? Are, th- are things relaxing a little bit? It's weird. I mean, as far as I know, things haven't really gone back. Like I know Jurassic World, the latest one, they went back. But in the first week, they had quite a lot of COVID cases. Right. It's still yeah. going. And obviously, they've got a lot of money to pay for all these extra things that you need. And then I think the soaps have gone back. But as far as I know, nothing really has at the moment. Like uh, anything that maybe already had kind of stopped four lockdowns that was already in production can get up and running but we're still getting massive issues of no one will ensure productions against okay. anything to do with covid so yeah and cast and crew i, I mean I, I think there's a, a a lack of appreciation sometimes for for what happens during film and tv production and that sort of thing there are so many people involved aren't there so and, many. I, yeah and i think um i i did read a little bit that in in preparation for our chat that cast and crew no longer have to self-isolate when they arrive in the UK if they're traveling from from somewhere else so that I guess that's a good sign to maybe get the ball rolling again and and get get the work going again yeah I think as soon as they sort insurance out it 
will be fine. People will start moving forward. Bigger stuff will start going and then the smaller things can see how the bigger things are going. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, let's find out a little bit more about your professional background. It appears you've spent a great deal of time over the last decade or so honing many different skills. So along with being a producer and production manager, you've been a writer and a sound recordist. What was your your first job and and where did it lead to? I think my first ever proper job, um, I left uni and went and worked as a production assistant for Endemol, like it was a reality show called Super Size vs. Super Skinny at the time. I, I, I remember Endemol. I don't remember that show. Yeah, actually. I did used to watch it as a teenager, so I was kind of happy to be on it in a weird way. But um, <laughs> that was very much just working in a production office. You do like a lot of photocopying, arranging shoots, and it was. Very, I think it was probably a lot more admin-based. I only went to set a couple of times, so I, I kind of just lived in the office. But it was a kind of a good insight because I'd have always sort of on the production route ever since like I was a sound recorder so that was literally because I went on a set once it was like a no budget project so I just just loads of yeah. hobbyist filmmakers they were like we need a sound recorder and I was like well I'll do it if someone teaches me how to do it <laughs> <There was> someone <laughs> that had the equipment and I was like I'll do it if someone shows me how to do it but then I did actually manage to like get better and get paid work doing well you it, did so. it for two and a half years or yeah. Past, didn't you? yeah so you must have been quite good I think so I mean I did a lot of horror and I'm always happy that I didn't like when people scream, it's really hard to get the levels, and I never <laughs> messed it up. <laughs> That's a challenge, I, I guess. But you also wrote for for Shock Horror magazine as well. Yeah, didn't you? So is is horror something that you really get into, or you just fell into that genre? Horror's like my favorite since I was a teenager. I've been very obsessed with horror films, so naturally lent that way. Like my first short I produced was horror. The first feature film I worked on was horror film, so it was just kind of that natural thing. Like I'd done a lot of writing for the local paper, and then. I think I knew someone that knew someone that worked for that magazine. So I got a job just interviewing like horror actors and directors. It's quite fun. Well, you freelanced as well, didn't you, in, in terms of writing? You, you've you written for a few things. I noticed on your, your uh, LinkedIn profile, you freelanced at Future Publishing, where I worked um, for a couple of months. And I, I'd long left, I think, when you were there in 2010. Yeah, um, I what did. did you, what did you work on? I, well, I just went mostly for, I did like a proper placement. I think while mm. I was still at uni, I just left. I did like a couple of weeks placement at Total Film, kind of learning how it works and getting to write. And I can remember I got to go to the social network premiere. That was quite cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, yeah. Leicester Square. Literally my first night, they're like, do you want to go to this? I was like, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I did the odd article afterwards. Yeah, it was a bit weird when I came out of uni, I never knew what I wanted to do. I always thought I'd be a film director. and But then I was like, oh, I'm quite good at writing because obviously at university, you just spend loads of time writing. <laughs> But it does seem like, you know, all the positions that you've held and, and these little pieces of experience you've had, they've all kind of related to one another. And then it's ended up where you are actually a, a film producer who can handle production management. So all of these little strands of things that you've learned along the way have all come together to form quite a substantial whole, haven't they, in terms yeah. of your skill set? I think as well, I always think if you want to get into production, you should have an idea of what other crew do as well mm. so I'm very rare in that I'll always back up the sound guy because like my friend I've got a friend that I work with on 90% of my shoots uh Thatch, he's amazing um but he'll always ask for things and the producer might be like no it's too expensive I'm like no he he does need it we're in this for example we're in a warehouse that had like corrugated metal roofing so obviously any rain 
really severe wind. No, you, you could hear everything. Hear yeah. I was like, no, we need to pay to get this covered with whatever he wants to get it covered with. <laughs> yeah. What do you cover that with? It's some weird like horsehair blankets that are very expensive. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm sure there's other ways, but we did it. Can you rent them at least? Yeah, I think you can rent them. It's a good point you make there about understanding what other people do so that you have this broad view. And, you know, you could say that about any job, couldn't you? Yeah. If you're a CEO of a company, isn't it good to know uh, what other people do and how they do it? You know, it, it's it's really common sense, isn't it? You become better at your job. And you you were uh, um, a writer, casting assistant, and assistant yeah. director. It has created this bigger picture of you, I think. Now, in 2018, you were selected for the Talent Lab. What's the Talent Lab? Oh, so that was really fun, actually. So there's various ones, and this one was for Edinburgh Film Festival. So you kind of pitched a feature film. It was all for people on their first or second, like, early features. And I pitched a feature version of a short film I did called Wash Club, and that got selected for the Talent Lab. So the Talent Lab itself, I mean, it was great because Edinburgh basically, like, Pay, all you have to do is get yourself to Edinburgh and then they put you up in a hotel and you get all your meals to pay for, which is brilliant, and free bars. And then <laughs> you get loads of just sessions. So you, they take you to like writing sessions, producer sessions, sessions with filmmakers. You go to lots of talks, but they also did arrange loads of one-to-one meetings with people from the industry that normally might not answer my cold calls, you know, like yeah, yeah. sales agents, and you get to pitch your project to them, which was great and just the people I was on there's probably like 20 of us maybe on the talent lab and that's just been like a great network because we still all have like a whatsapp group like if we need help on shoots we all get in touch with each other oh that's great yeah so you've you've almost developed a a community from that one visit to Edinburgh yeah definitely I mean it was like maybe four or five days we're all together and I think we did build some good friendships out of it Mm. is it good to form that group by the way, in, in your line of work. I ask this because you notice it in, in large, big budget things as well. You know, Scorsese's worked with De Niro, he's worked with DiCaprio so many times, and Clint Eastwood works with his certain group of people. Is that how things tend to work? You develop a bond or a trust with certain members of crew? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, me in particular, because I when I was doing my own projects, you know, as a producer, small time, like doing music videos and shorts, I was working with crew that would be happy to work for like no money on favors on weekends or very little money. So I know I can trust them. They're working with me for the right reasons. So they were, they were working with me because they like the projects and the art. So, but now I've got bigger budgets. I still try to have those on board where I can, because I've got a trust. Yeah. I can trust them. I think that's the thing is like, you just keep hiring people you've worked with because there's a level of trust, Mm. you know, they're going to deliver, but also, like longer form projects, you can be with people for like, I mean, the last shoot I did was six weeks long. And obviously I was with some people during the two months prep. So you just want to be around people you really like as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you've worked with a guy called Simon, haven't you? If you? Is it Simon Diamond? Yeah, Simon Diamond's probably my main collaborator. So you pick up on his style because he'll obviously have a style. And then you'll, the more you work together, the more you start to understand one another's approach to making yeah. a, a film. Yeah. Did you meet Simon in Edinburgh? No, I met Simon back at a networking night in a pub. <laughs> there used to be in, in Nottingham, there used to be a thing called Shooters in the Pub, which was like a shoot, there's a website called Shooting People. 
and it was part of the kind of networking nights. So what's it like to be a British producer then? So tell us about some of the challenges you come across and perhaps the, the benefits. Oh, compared to like say Hollywood, our budget's minuscule. <laughs> We're always working with tiny budgets, but I think that sometimes makes you more resourceful anyway. Mm. You've, got, you've just got to find ways to be creative with what you've got. Do you get support from, from Nottingham, for instance? You're Nottingham-based, aren't I'm you? I'm Nottingham-based. I mean, apart from, I mean, the crew, the casting crew here are amazing. And I work a lot for a company called Wellington Films who produce like big films like Calibre and The Leveling. And they're sort of like my unofficial mentors because I can always ask them for advice for anything based, based around features. Um, but yeah, Nottingham itself, like it used to be quite supportive, but they've kind of lost the filming link at the council. That person's gone and they never replaced them. Oh, is it as simple as that? Just a simple thing like that can sort of put a spanner in the works? Yeah, I mean, it was more to do with filming permissions and things like that. But we used to have someone called Faith and she was amazing. She would literally, I can remember before I drove, she would literally come and pick me up and drive me around a load of potential filming locations. <laughs> <laughs> take me around and they never replaced her so it's really hard to get permissions in Nottingham sometimes because you happen to go to the events team and you just anyone that's dealt with the councils will know they like to bounce you around to every department without answering your questions so that was great but I mean in England in general like the BFI have been great I've had a lot of funding from the BFI for short films and early development of my feature and now the BFI network's kind of split into regional hubs so we've got the Midlands hub is actually based in Nottingham in the same building that I spent a lot of my time working from so they're very oh, well, helpful. <laughs> that's a great coincidence yeah. isn't it yeah yeah so in terms of raising finances is it often you're solely reliant on the BFI network or the short film funding program or do you have independence that you know pique their interest for short films BFI is always the first port of call I think for everyone and the network and I've been quite lucky the last few have I mean, I've got some in talks with them now that hopefully will get approved. But the last one I did was BFI backed. And the, I mean, BBC films are open to shorts as well. Um, and there's also, I was in talks with, there's a production company called Gunpowder and Sky as well that started doing more genre shorts. But it is very hard. I mean, there's private finance as well, like just finding people with money. Some people, I've never been that successful, but I know some people have raised lots of money just from very rich friends. But I've also, I've crowdfunded in the past. Did that work out? It did. The few I've done did. I did a horror short for four grand, and we raised over four grand. And then yeah. when we did, we did the short called Wash Club a few years ago. We had five grand from Creative England and the BFI, and then we raised five grand through crowdfunding as well. How about attracting uh, talent? Then is it, is that difficult? It can be. I mean, I think it's a two way street. Like I get a lot of the more the more I do, the more I just get people get in touch with me out of the blue from writers and directors and crew members but then I also like now I'm starting to get a bit of traction with agents like you used to just send agents emails for cast and just be sending it out into the, the sea and never get a reply <laughs> so that that's hard are you actually allowed to um sort of go to the university and say you know can we borrow some of your students at the moment yeah you can um I've done various projects in Nottingham because there's University of Nottingham and there's Trent and we've got a really good actual film school called Confetti yeah so I've kind of got links for all of those and more when I do the bigger projects because I can get them proper placements 
and I've had them on the, we did a really big project at the beginning of the year like a six-week shoot for this interactive project and we had students from all the local universities in various departments kind of giving them their first role on set because I think that's the thing as well is like trying to get students their first role because it's really hard to break in must be really exciting for them as well to to have that experience yeah I was quite surprised like how the what we did the um kind of we had one of the production runners she was from university she just was always happy and I was like it's six in the morning how are you still so cheerful <laughs> but for her it was her first set and I was probably like that on my first set <laughs> so how, how do you market the films then with such a low budget I mean it depends obviously when you when I'm part of bigger projects that's not my job you know? <laughs> when, when I'm on feature films and tv it's not I just let whoever deals with that but when it comes to shorts it's very much sort of trying to build a name for yourself online the last proper major short I did, Wash Club, that we just, we made, like, because we knew we were going to crowdfund it as well. We had to make sure it had an online presence before we launched the crowdfunder. So we shot a teaser and we kind of made Facebook groups and Twitter accounts and Instagram and kind of just tried to drum up as many followers as we could before it went online. And then for the, like, the online release, we wanted to go through Short of the Week because that's sort of the website for short films. And then that got us the Vimeo staff pick. And once you've got those two things that's kind of as much as you need for an online film because they'll start promoting it and then other websites pick anything like that up. Yeah. Now, having seen Wash Club, um, did you actually consider putting posters up in laundrettes? No, we did go to a lot of laundrettes. <laughs> I, I can remember scouting and I must have been to every laundrette that exists in Nottingham to try and find the perfect one. So you mentioned Vimeo there. Vimeo's played such a huge part, hasn't it, in showcasing creative talent. I can't believe it's actually been around for 15 or 16 years. Wow. I know. Is, is it still the go-to destination for, for high-def video and, and creators like yourself and original content? I think so. I It's weird because I do feel like there's a bit of a snooty vibe against YouTube, and I'm probably part of that as well. Like I think YouTube, there's just so much content. that There's also there's sort of this idea that Vimeo is a bit more creative and a bit more polished. Like you don't get all those people, you know, unboxing videos and makeup tutorials on Vimeo. Yeah. It's a bit more creative. <laughs> Especially Vimeo staff picks, you know they're always going to be of a certain quality. And that, that's what you're aiming for, isn't it, to be on those lists? Yeah. I mean, that was always our kind of, not necessarily for Wash Club, but we're always like, we want a Vimeo staff pick. Because now as well, that's as important as a festival selection. Like when you go for certain levels of funding it will say did you get into like an a-list festival or did you get a vimeo staff pick so it really is such a big deal still yeah i know i know the guys who started it have left a long long time ago i think um and uh, i think they really doubled down a, a few years ago on on making it the home for people who produce short films and commercials and, and low budget projects yeah, there's a lot of filmmakers i've kind of discovered through vimeo that have gone on to do features and things is there also a place where you can actually find other people to work with? Have you experienced that? Possibly. Like, I've never really done it. Like, normally by the time I've discovered someone, you're like, look, and you're like, oh, they've already got their feature in development, or, you know, they're dealing with far much more money than I can bring them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all comes down to money, doesn't it? Unfortunately? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your, you've got a showreel as well. I've watched your, your showreel. And uh, so tell me about the process of making that, because that's obviously a part of, you promoting yourself and, and your work. Is it absolutely crucial that in your line of work you make a show reel? I think it is and isn't. Like a lot of not a lot of producers necessarily have them. 
but I just think it's an easy easy way to just show someone quickly that I can do high quality work but it depends like I, for a DOP like anything visual like a director or a DOP I would expect them to have a showreel but a lot of crew wouldn't necessarily say a costume designer or a production designer just a bit of a portfolio would be fine and I mean some people just send links to films but a showreel so normally quick and easy to digest that I think they're worth having if you can have them I mean I'm lucky because my partner's an editor so he just made it for me <laughs> that's handy yeah so I just say use these clips use these films and I'll trust his judgment for the most part I think I made like one tweak to the first cut I think that that's the key to self-promotion as well as if you show the effort in promoting yourself I think often oftentimes people can take you more seriously I think as, as a creator yeah I think kind of a horrible thing to say but like if people put effort into their website and I click on that I'm more likely to look at the one <laughs> that's nice and easy to read and looks nice, especially if you're going for a, a job that might be based more in the visuals. Yeah, absolutely. So you're working on a, on a short film, aren't you, called Lord of the Free Range? Yeah. Obviously put on hold for a little bit now, but is that uh, going to be the next big thing you're working on? Probably through my production company, that'll be the next big one that, yeah, we're supposed to shoot this year, but obviously will probably be next kind of spring, summer now. Raising finance, I suppose, yeah, we're literally just waiting for the final decision. I think I'm 90% sure it's funded. <laughs> Hopefully it is. So I'd like to ask at this point what advice or wisdom you'd give to those who want to work in, in film production in this case. What might you say to the young people listening who want to forge that path themselves? I think, I mean, I always just say to people, get in as many sets as you can. So, I mean, the heart, the reality is, is you do the first few for free. Like I worked as a runner or my varied experience like I can remember doing a lighting job on something just to get on different projects and see how they run kind of mm. learn everyone's roles and if you can like just do it with friends one thing that really worked for me is local film nights and obviously not everywhere's going to do them but in Nottingham we do a lot of kind of local film nights where it'll be all filmmakers from sort of varying levels getting together and showing their work yeah because then you can kind of see whose work you do like who you might think you want to work with and just also see like who might be the more experienced crews that you can kind of try and get an entry role in with but that's it really have you managed to do those those film nights through lockdown no we haven't actually no not an online version of it no i'm sure there probably has been other things but i've not seen anything well how do people get in touch with you lauren uh, to find out a little bit more yeah they can just go on my website katopictures.com and all my contact info is on there and obviously Kato Films, I haven't asked, but uh, you have um, a certain friend you live with mm -hmm. that you named named your business after. Can yeah. you tell us more? Yeah, so the Kato Pictures is named after Kato the cat. <laughs> and you named the, the cat Kato because? Because of uh, Bruce Lee. And the... Bruce Lee. Yeah. I thought I wondered whether it would be Pink Panther or, or the Green Hornet. So it's Bruce Lee. Yes. Yeah. It was very weird, actually. Once I was on the train with someone that I'd only just met that day and we discovered our cats were both named Kato, but hers was after Pink Panther. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was Lauren Parker, and you can find her online at catopictures.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on your favourite podcast platform or share it with a friend or colleague. You can take a look at my own website at seanweston.co.uk for more information about me. In the meantime, thank you for tuning in to Season 2. Stay in touch, 
and I'll see you in season three.